Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to come to the last bits of that, so I'll give you time to open your Bibles and your devices, and we're going to look at this series, Ascend, that we have been going on at the moment, which is a journey of, or part of the journey of the Ephesian church. Uh, the, the, the Ephesians have been, doc- there's about 40, 50 years of documented history in the New Testament, just around the city of Ephesus. And uh, so it's really amazing to sort of uh, see how that goes. And, and I'm excited about where we go even beyond Ephesians as we consider this. Um, now, we're going to be into chapter 4 and chapter 5 today. Um, and uh, chapter 4 has been the beginning of a new stanza in, in, the, um, in the story of the Ephesians story there. We've been talking about ascend as upward motion and the first three chapters have been about uh, looking up. We've got praise, we've got um, realizing who we are in Christ, all those things. And then chapter four tells us, talks, uh, brings us into this idea in my view as stepping up. So we look up and then we step up. The third one will come in chapter six. Uh, verse one uh, says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And we've been shown a heap of things about being in Christ. And because of these things, we're shown that life will change as a result. All right, Because we are in Christ, life changes. And we live up worthy of the life we're called to live. And uh, we're invited into a worthy way of life. And uh, you know, sometimes we're a little bit immature in faith. We get a bit antsy about preaching that calls to behave in any distinct way. But the fact of the matter is, is that the scriptures do anticipate that life in Christ is different to the way the world is around us. You know, we do live differently as Christians. We are called to live differently. Um, in this verse, a new calling equals new living. You know, we've seen this play out in things like maturity and unity and ministry. All right, these things are, you know, all of a sudden we learn to serve others because the world doesn't do that well enough. We do it much better in Christ. Then the next statement that hits us where we live is verse 17. You must not live as the pagans do. All right, the pagans don't think the same way we do. The pagans don't understand the things we do. The, the people outside of the faith in Christ don't, don't get it. They have no sensitivity to the spirit like we do. And as a result, they don't share the same value system or the same behavioral patterns that we do. We've learned that we have a new self. As we saw last week in what Peter shared, this is marked by different characteristics in our midst. Uh, We see truth. We see balanced emotions. We see honesty. We see hard work. And importantly, we see healthy church relationships play out in this worthy thing. And we're being urged and now we're being insisted upon. And as we saw last week particularly, our new self has a clean mouth. I noticed that it really stood out last week. Overall, we're called and we're empowered by the Spirit to aim higher in the way we live our life than the pagans do. So chapter 1 opens with an urge, an appeal to the heart. At this level, Paul is dealing with matters internal to us. Then he moves on in verse 17 to an insist. Not an urge, but an insist. This is a call to witness. This is a solemn appeal. Paul is being a little bit more forward or pressing in his directions here. And at this level, he's dealing with interpersonal relationships within the church. At this point, he's going, I'm insisting you live a certain way. 
Because when it comes to how you deal with each other, this is how it's got to be. And where there is weakness, step up into the worthy life. And now, as we continue to read, we're going into the realm where all doubt is removed about the profession of our faith. At this point, Paul is mindful that the pagan world will now be watching. And stepping up in this Christian faith will have an effect on the world around us. So our main passage today is going to be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through to 5, verse 2. It says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Twice in this short passage, we see a key phrase. And this casts a really powerful shadow over these four verses here. The, the phrase is this, just as Christ. We're reminded here about some key powerful things about Christ that we all should know through and through. But our actions sometimes betray the reality that we don't always remember. Just as Christ, here's the simple one, Jesus forgave us. That's the first one. Jesus forgave us. In Mark's gospel in chapter 2, the very first thing Jesus did to demonstrate his deity was to offer forgiveness of sin. You want to know if I'm God or not? There, your sins are forgiven. It was essentially a perfect judge in Christ dismissing the charges against the paralyzed man in question at the time. If you know the story, it's the one where they've actually torn the roof up and let the paralytic down through the roof. And instead of healing him, he goes, your sin's forgiven first. And all the people are going, this is blasphemy, only God can forgive, right? Forgiveness in that setting means to extend kindness or favor and to grant deliverance and to dismiss charges. This is our state in Christ. Jesus dismissed the charges of sin in us. He extended favor and kindness and deliverance to us. But we also see that in love, Jesus did all that was required to facilitate that forgiveness. When we think about this, we don't think about, when we think about forgiveness, we don't consider it in the way of God just sort of going up and going, I'll oh, just get on out of here, you little scallywag, don't do it again. Forgiveness like that is nice to think about, but actually ignores the cost of what forgiveness actually involved. God's desire for proper justice calls for the sin of man to actually be punished. And that's what we read here. Jesus is offered as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In love, he was offered, he offered himself as a sacrifice that was a fragrant offering and sacrifice. This is, this is huge. This is Old Testament talk here. Jesus was offered as a human to pay the price of atonement for a whole people. 
The sin of man stunk up the sanctuary of God. And Jesus offered the pleasant aroma of himself in order to remove the stench once and for all. So in Christ, our forgiveness was not a cheap commodity. It wasn't something merely spoken, but it came about because of specific sacrificial action. All of man's sin was punished. And all who place their faith in Christ receive forgiveness because he bore the brunt of the punishment. And when we consider that, we also remember that if Jesus died for all sin, this includes the sins committed against each other. Not just sins that we do against God, but other people when they sin against us. That's been paid for too. That's why Paul calls on us here to remove some key things from our hearts. And it, dare I say it, even remove these things from our vocabulary. He says, get rid of these things. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. These are things that actually make forgiveness impossible. If we hold on to these things, forgiveness goes out the window. These are the things that have no place in Christian community. As we depart from the way of the pagans, don't live as the pagans do. As we depart from that way, these things depart from us too. Paul then writes that instead of these terrible things in our midst, Christians are to be marked by better things. Kindness, for starters. A good person is kind because God is kind. Psalm 34, 8 says to taste and see that the Lord is good. good goodness there is a, in the Hebrew is a really broad word. And uh, the concept of kindness is in fact included in that idea of God being good. There's a, whole heap, there's a whole heap of different notions in play. When it just says God is good, when, David, when, when the psalmist writes that, he actually says goodness is like all the things you can think of that are pleasant. Everything that you could possibly say about God kind of gets summed up in this one Hebrew word that sort of brings it all together. Good sounds nice on paper. But there's kindness, there's righteousness, there's, there's all these amazing traits about God included into that word. Romans 2.4 tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. When we know that God extends kindness to us, we then go, I'm going to reach out to that God who will extend kindness. Remember that when Paul is writing that, he's writing to, to a, a pagan societies that understood the gods to not be kind. Even Artemis, you know, she was considered a, a benevolent person, but really the gods were not kind. They were there to be appeased. But when they go, gee, God is kind and he did it first, we reach out to a person like that and we repent. Kindness is an amazing trait when we have it in the life of the church. Kindness becomes an active agent in putting relationships right. It fosters a culture of reconciliation within the life of the church. 
We have kindness. And then we have compassion or tender-heartedness in, in the next trait here. This word in the Greek <laughs> has a literal translation that relates to a healthy intestine. To be moved deeply in the bowel is what it means. What it is getting at is that instead of being rigid about the faults of others, we are able to be moved and soft towards those people instead. When we get all bitter, when we get all rage, when we get all angry, when we, get all be- we remain in a pagan way when the Spirit empowers us otherwise, we actually, in the Spirit, get all bunged up. There will be pain within our inner self. And the best way to not be bunged up? Exercise and diet. Move. Walk. Have action. Better action. Better behavior. Don't sit and wallow in something, but instead walk out that, the, the, the journey that Christ calls us to walk. Move. And have a better diet. Don't dwell on, don't chew over or, or mull over the things that, that bring us down. Instead, it, it bring in, it come along with the Word of God and these things and actually ingest the, the good things that need to be in our spirit. Compassion is metamucil to our spirit, friends. We see this word used a handful of times in the ministry of Jesus. In Mark 6, we see a deeply moved Jesus reach out to a crowd because it's said that they were like sheep without a shepherd. He looks out at a crowd who are actually being mistreated by the Pharisees and, and, and not knowing which way they really needed to live. And Jesus is moved with compassion for people like that, going, I don't know which way to go. And he's reaching out to them, going, my heart goes out to you. Another time, he is deeply moved with compassion towards a crowd in need of healing. People who are broken down, people who are, who are ill, people who are not seeing a way forward with their own physical well-being, and even in many cases, their mental well-being as well. There's people, even in this room and online right now, you might be feeling like you're in a spot where you're going, physically, in my mind, in my body, something is not right. There's something that I'm, I'm having a hard time working my way through. Please understand that Jesus is moved with compassion for that. He knows where you are at. He's, he, he, has, he has seen that firsthand in his own ministry and he knows what people, what people are going through there and he, his heart reaches out to you in this time. Compassion is God's way of responding to the weakness and the vulnerability of others. In practice, this means instead of demanding everybody else do better in their attitudes or actions towards us and lash out accordingly, we are to be in tune with the Spirit enough to realize that those people's shortcomings are the result of their own weakness. If someone lashes out at me, I need to not see that as an affront towards me. I need to see that as weakness in them. When someone is aggressive towards me, now I'm not talking about abuse, okay? People, if you're in abuse, honestly, that's a whole different thing. But if people 
Well, you know, if people yell out at me or you know, in their frustration or if people, you know, uh, are exhibiting bitterness towards me or, or different things like that, I'm called to see that as weakness in another. I need to be compassionate to the person extending out to me. If someone's having a bad day, I need to be compassionate towards that. If someone's having a, you know, going through stuff in their life right now, I need to be compassionate to that. If people feel like they can't be truthful with me at times because they're worried about the consequences or past experience tells them that, that they can't be honest in certain circumstances, I need to be compassionate to that. We need to be able to see that other people's shortcomings are their weakness and there needs to be an element of compassion. It's really hard to be malicious or bitter or angry back at someone when the Spirit shows us that these people are operating at less than what God wants them to be. If my heart is moved by their inability to move forward, then once again, I'm going to act in a caring and healing way towards them. So if we live not as pagans, but as people in Christ, we will be kind and we will be compassionate in our dealings with others. And because of all that, we will forgive just as Christ, just as he forgave us. I'm going to invite my readers up. I need my readers. We should all know the Sermon on the Mount really well by now. But if we don't, here's one key snippet for us to take away today. So um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 to 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Red letters, friends. To leave the pagan way, we do so through forgiveness. And because this is our experience, we are then to extend that experience to others in imitation of the one who forgave us. And if we refuse to forgive, then according to Jesus, this is evidence that the door of forgiveness has been opened to you. But you haven't walked through it yet. Some of us may be around Christian community, but you've come in through the wrong entrance. And the inability to forgive will render you still a pagan. But we're called to leave that world, to come back to the right door, the one where forgiveness is found through Christ. And in turn, we then choose to be an extender of forgiveness ourselves also. And last, we don't operate in kindness and compassion and forgiveness because we have to. Well, to be honest, that won't last. Look how long those traits last in the pagan world in and of themselves. If Jesus isn't holding those things together, they will not last. Kindness, compassion, forgiveness do not last long in the world around us. No, we operate this way out of love. 
through the Spirit, we want to. We love just as Christ, just as Christ loved us. We forgive and we love. Jesus' love is both the reason and the pattern for the way we love each other in the church. Jesus loved us enough to purchase us by his blood. It is a self-giving love. It is sacrificial. It serves. It forgives. And it comes with no conditions, no strings attached. My last reading, John chapter 15, verse 12 to 14. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command. The one thing Jesus wanted his disciples to do was what? Love each other like Jesus did. If you see those, uh, those photos on Facebook, it says you only had one job. This is it for Christians. I've been quizzed a number of times in the last few years about why we always end up landing on love as the crescendo of various sermon series. Why do we end up on love, Ken? Why does it always just end up on love? Short answer is this, friends. There is absolutely nothing higher in the Christian life to pursue. If we understand the love of Christ well enough, there is no higher thing in this human world that we can pursue. That's what sets us apart from the pagans. The pagan way doesn't understand love. That's why you have rainbow flags saying love is love. What does that even mean? What well, it includes people. That's nice. But it actually, even there, what they're trying to campaign for is not a full definition of love, not as God designed it or describes it. The pagan way, by default, is to amass what they can, no matter the cost. The pagan religious ideal is often about transcendence or some other spiritual high. Some sort of thing that can be quantified as an act that tips the scales in their favor. Among the Jews, the highest accomplishment was ritual cleanness and rigorous holy living according to the law. But our highest point, friends, is to be able to love others with the model of Christ loving us. Jesus tell us, tells us that loving God and loving our neighbor is the foundation of the law. Get these right and everything else falls into place. Jesus leaves us with just one command, love each other like I love you. If we get that right, then the mission of the church will always be on point. So although this is a very simple message, I can't escape the sense that Jesus wants to do some real restorative work in people out of this. There's a small crowd with us here right now. There's a bunch of you watching online right now as well. And I believe as we begin this process of coming back to emphatically worshipping together as early as next weekend, it's probably a healthy time to begin to evaluate the relationships we have within the life of this community. 
I personally long to get back in a community. I am really not worried about what crowd we amass here on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter. Everyone's going to do what they need to do for their safety and for their peace of mind and that sort of thing. But I crave community. And I crave being around God's Christian community. I love it. And I'm hoping that in your homes and in your spaces and in our spaces, we're also craving that too. And if we're not, think beyond the safety of things. I understand if we're vulnerable, stay home, please. But I believe God has been sifting entire communities throughout the nation at this time. And actually working through what really matters right now. When we sit at our homes, staring at our TV screens, it felt so unnatural. It felt so frustrating. Because rubbing shoulders with other believers is where it's at. Being able to exercise the muscle of compassion and kindness, mercy, forgiveness, joy, all these things in community. These are the things that need to be rising up within us right now. This idea of love and forgiveness is supposed to capture us to motivate us, to move us, to compel us. Does that describe you, friends? Does that describe you online? Has love and forgiveness utterly captured us? Are these things deep-seated revelation within our spirits? Or are they merely some sort of cognitive recognition and not much more? I know in theory it works, But in practice, I haven't nailed it down. As a model, love and forgiveness has outlets. In this case, being kind and tender-hearted to others. And from this position, seeking reconciliation often. And being willing to constantly dismiss the charges we lay against others in our hearts. That's what forgiveness is. Dismissing the charges we lay against others. Letting go of the charges, letting go of the things we hold against other people. And doing that in the power of the Spirit who enables us to do this. Not because we have to, I'm doing this because you told me to, Jesus, but you know what? You'll never let it go that way. But doing this out of an attitude of love where we actually want to. I want healed community. I want reconciled relationships. I want healthy interpersonal friendships. I want these things. Therefore, when people do things wrong to me, I will forgive. I will dismiss those charges. Just as Jesus dismissed the charges of sin in my life first. Jesus died for our sins and those sins that were done against us. And in love, Jesus forgives those sins. How can we do anything less? Let's leave the pagan way behind. Let's live the life worthy of our calling. And let kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and ultimately love be the evidence of that. The world is beginning to watch. Right now, 
in our city, the world is watching how community comes together again. Right now, our city is looking for healthy avenues for the way community comes together again. The church is sitting on the cusp of being a trendsetter for what healthy community can look like going forward. Let's be those people. Let's step away from what the pagans know. Let's be pleasantly, powerfully different to the world around us with these traits leading the way for us. I'm going to lead us in some prayer at this time and I'll come down here, let the band get ready. One of the prayers that Jesus offered in the Lord's Prayer is, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And before that, forgive us our debts. Forgive us as we forgive others. Friend, your forgiveness of others is tied in with God's forgiveness of you. Is someone coming to mind right now in your heart or life? Is Jesus nudging you right now going, I want you to reconcile with that person. I want you to put that relationship right. I want you to dismiss the charges against that person. I want you to walk in freedom in community with that person. Will you be willing to do that right now? Will you forgive? Will you add compassion to your spiritual discipline, your spiritual rhythms? Will you be moved by the weakness of others? Will you be moved by the vulnerability of others in the church and outside these walls? Will you drive down the street and look at every street and every pedestrian differently from here on in? Will you look at the city and see them as sheep without a shepherd the way Jesus does? Will we look at what we can do together to bring people into this, this, this journey of actually finding a good shepherd? Will we simply be kind to all? And will we love? You know what? A lot of people in church are going, oh, I just need to feel something. I need to, you know, I need to feel like I've done enough. You know what? All we need is love. It's actually the ability to actually love the way Jesus loved us, the way, the way to, to demonstrate and to, to communicate and to live out this way of love. If we can love each other the way Jesus loved us, you'll find that high that you're looking for. You'll find that sense of achievement in, in, in Christian life. You'll find what you're actually looking for in love. Doesn't get any higher than that. Let's walk in the way of love, friends. Because it matters. There is no higher way.